0: After you've marked number 179, the number that Brother Larry just announced, I hope that for the next few moments we can reflect on the Word of God to appreciate yet a rather amazing and enthralling question, Does God Change? As I lead into that lesson, I would like to take just a moment and express again words of appreciation to those men, Brother Andrew on the one hand and Brother Joe on the other. They delivered the lessons last Sunday, did a splendid job, teaching the truth so directly and yet in such love and plainness. Aren't we blessed and thankful here at Pippin to have men like them who can preach in such direct and lovely ways and encouraging ways and above all else, such truthful ways. Inasmuch as we're thankful for those things, I again would like to at least ask you, does God change I realize that you and I might offer a number of thoughts as we start this particular lesson. I'm going to begin it like this. Isn't it true? The Word of God shares with us in direct ways a number of attributes and characteristics and features of God. You'll notice on that slide. You and I know well, 1 John 4:8, God is love. Love is of God. And therefore, whenever you and I appreciate it, either in the life of someone else or we ourselves, it's a manifestation of ultimately what God is. But beyond that, in Deuteronomy 32, 4, this God that you and I serve, He is a God of truth. That is His nature. He cannot lie, Titus 1 verse 2 There is nothing in his nature that permits him to associate with that which is evil, that which is ungodly. Furthermore, for those reasons, he's just. Justice is part of what he is all about. Look at the second row of attributes, if you would please. He is also a God of mercy, Ephesians 2 verse 4. Notice, as Paul addressed that letter to the Ephesian congregation, he directly asserted that God of mercy, mercy again, is what he is all about. Not only that, what about 1 Peter 5.10? He is there called the God of grace. You and I have often reflected upon and thought about grace, but let's quickly close our slide by noting this one. He always does what's right. Hosea 14.9. Now, those attributes alone are powerful, and they remind us of the perfection of our God. But as you and I come to the bottom of that slide, I'd like to encourage all of us tonight to think about the changeability of God. Does God change? There are many in our world who, I suppose, have various and sundry ideas about the answer to that question. Our interest tonight is only what we glean from the Word of God. Let's begin by noting this then, the next slide. There are a number of passages and you and I are quick to perhaps reflect on them and they highlight for us seemingly in very clear language that God does not change. Let's look at a few of them in turn. In Malachi 3 verse 6, God speaking through the ancient prophet, the last prophet in the Old Testament, he on that occasion identified I Change not. Now that's pretty straightforward, and that's pretty direct, isn't it? He therein declared he doesn't change. With regard to the subject at hand, and with regard to the matter involved in that prophecy, he said he didn't change. That's only one of a few other passages, such as Numbers twenty-three, nineteen. Isn't it true that there under the days of Balaam It's true that Balaam had some issues with which you and I would have difficulty in that. He chose to do, of course, what he already knew God had said not to do. But beside all that point, when he arrived at the place to proclaim before King Balak, it was Balaam who agreed, I can only speak what God permits me and gives me to say. And on that occasion... God speaking through him said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Now that suggests, again, that God is rigidly fixed and He is not one that changes. As you and I come to the New Testament, maybe this verse has already rested upon your heart. It's James 1 verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, and note this, with whom is no variation, neither shadow of turning. I have asked you to notice the definition of those words, the Greek word that was there present in the the original text. That phrase, no variation, no shadow of turning. Consider the first part first. No variation, that word literally means no change. So there's no change in some aspect with God. And furthermore, no variation whatsoever. In particular, it's identified. You and I know that in the ancient era, you would use a sundial or some particular object and its shadow would give you information about what time of day it was. The, Hebrew, the, writer, the writer of James says, There is no shadow cast by turning. The shadow never changes. With God, it's rigid, it's fixed. So all of that leads us perhaps to note this. Isn't it true then that these verses characterize for us the great God that we serve is one that doesn't change? That prepares us for the next slide. This one may be the more troubling Does it then appear that there are other verses in the Word of God that seemingly share a different story, that is to say, a different message, as if, by some means, God does change? Let's look at a few of them just so that we're in agreement to that appreciation for the Word of God. In Exodus 32, verse number 14, this rather interesting statement is found. Exodus 32, verse number 14. There in that scene after Moses had come down from Mount Sinai and the people were dancing around a golden calf and doing what they ought not have been doing, this verse says, And the Lord repented of the evil which He thought to do unto His people. So that seemingly suggests, doesn't it, that God had an intent to do something evil, but then He changed His mind and didn't do it. That seems to suggest God does change. Look at another one in 1 Chronicles 21 verse 15. Much later in the Old Testament, but nonetheless a rather interesting scene. This one's in the days of King David. In verse 15 of that chapter, the inspired writer makes this observation. And God sent an angel into Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. This destruction of Jerusalem that on that occasion was being brought about, God apparently changed his mind and gave that angel some new instruction, Stop this. In what sense did God change His mind? Let's look at another one. You may notice in Jeremiah 26 verse 13, in the days of that prophet Jeremiah, I'm sure each of us can find this particular passage of extreme interest. But verse number 12 and 13 of that chapter reads as follows, Then spake Jeremiah unto all the princes and to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that ye have heard. Therefore now amend your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. God had made a pronouncement relative to these people of Judah, and that verse says he'll change his mind. In what sense does God change? Let's look at another one. In Joel 2 verse 13, one of the minor prophets at this time, it is this rather brief but nonetheless rather interesting presentation. It says, "...and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil." This is now several times we've noticed verses that say God repents of something and you and I know that when you and I repent we change our mind relative to some activity and begin to behave differently. Well as we apply at least that principle to God, in what sense is he changing his appreciation and therefore his behavior? One more time in Jonah 3 verse 10. The record of Jonah is, of course, a very memorable one. This individual, Jonah, was told by God to go and preach to Nineveh. He, of course, didn't do it at first. He chose to go the opposite direction, and when he did, he found himself in the belly of a great fish. And yet, in chapter 3, verse number 10, even Jonah recognized the following. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that He said He would do unto them and He did it not. So He made a declaration. He was going to do something to them, but then He changed His mind and He did something different. Another passage that speaks in some sense that God changed in some way, if at least His mind Well, as you and I close that slide, isn't it fair then to say we have looked at some verses that speak to an unchanging, fixed, and rigid nature of our God? He doesn't change. And yet other verses that speak as if in some way He does. Our chore for the remainder of our study time tonight shall be, how do we reconcile these? And does God change? And how do we understand the perfect presentation of the Bible on that subject? The next slide will lead us into an explanation. A set of verses that will cast a spotlight on and will assist us to understand this. First, may we note this, there is no contradiction here. You and I need to understand that truth never contradicts. Isn't it safe to say that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If it's the case then that this Word is thoroughly capable of making one acceptable before God, then we understand that the God who penned it and the God who authored it, if He's perfect truth, He can't contradict Himself. And therefore this Word will have no contradictions within it that opening point leads us to say this. Those verses we noted earlier that testified that God does not change, let's solidify in our heart the following set of ideas. In regard to the basic essence, in regard to the basic nature, in regard to the basic being that is God, He does not change. And by that I mean... He is always true and He's always right. And so that means there's never a time that he has an initial inclination for something that's wrong and then changes his mind. That would not be befitting of God. He's always right. I would call your attention to verses like 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. As Paul wrote that letter, we know it was 1 Timothy he said, speaking of God, He would have all men to be saved and to come unto a knowledge of the truth. God wants individuals to come to know the salvation that He offers. What's more, in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, "...the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." God has this keen desire for one and all to know Him, to appreciate Him, to obey Him. And His testimony to that fact was made in a declarative and unchanging way at the cross. Nothing that humans can ever do can change what happened at the cross. It's not as if that's something yet in the future. It has already happened and what happened indeed took place. Wicked men, by cruel hands, put to death the sinless Savior. Wicked men, motivated by cruel and very difficult matters, brought about the death of the only perfect one who ever has lived. And in so doing, they did it in such a heinous way, such an agonizing way, such a humiliating and excruciating way, that can never change. And yet, through it all, the great love of God is testified and borne out in that way. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. To those things we might now note this. That God of heaven that you and I appreciate, He has a will. That is to say, that which He wishes and it is His desire to be accomplished and it shall always be. Consider this with me in Ezekiel 24, verse 14. In the heart of that book, Ezekiel 24, verse number 14, God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, phrased it and stated it like this. I, the Lord, have spoken it. It shall come to pass. Did you hear that with me? I, he said, have spoken it, it shall come to pass, and I will do it. I will not go back, neither will I spare, neither will I repent according to thy ways, and according to thy doings shall they judge thee, saith the Lord God. So isn't it true that God there through Ezekiel testified, What I have decreed as my will, it shall come to pass. Humanity may fight against it. Humanity may in fact have a motivation that leads them to do and say, What is not in accordance to my will, but my will shall be accomplished. It is with that in mind, could I invite you to note this. This statement of the will of God, I have made it in the following way. The statement that's there at the bottom is in Jeremiah 18. I know that was read earlier. I think in light of the background we've now described, it would behoove us to listen to it again. Jeremiah 18, I think, describes the answer to our study tonight in the plainest, clearest way anywhere in the Bible. This is again what God said. "'At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom?' to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. So on this occasion, you'll notice, God has made the decree with regard to some nation. They're wicked. They're evil. They are directed in a way that is not consistent with my will, and as a judgment upon them, they're to be destroyed. But look at the next verse. If that nation, the very one that I've made proclamation concerning against whom I have pronounced, turn from their evil. I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. If they repent and proceed then to do what is my will, the what they ought to have been doing from the outset, then I will turn from that matter of destruction which I declared upon them. And I will in fact, it says in the next verse, And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it? If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, and I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. That verse highlights then that God's reaction to a circumstance hinges somewhat upon our response to Him. If a nation chooses to disobey Him, they perhaps begin to do what's morally corrupt. They behave in a way as a people that's not consistent with His will. By His judgment, He may make a decree of destruction upon them. But if they will repent, if they will turn their attention back to the truth and then live consistent with that will, God will remove that sentence of judgment upon them. Is it that what He did to Nineveh? That nation had been told, 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. That's what Jonah preached to them. But they repented. The king all the way down to the lowest of the servants, they repented. And God removed at that time that sentence of destruction. Now, did God change? Well, in a sense, in light of their repentance being moved closer to His will, then He reacted differently than what He would have done had they remained wicked. I said all of that like this. God reacts with a a perfection of His will to what you and I do. If we're faithful to Him, He will bring good upon us. If we're unfaithful to Him and disobedient to Him, then of course He will bring judgment of evil upon us or permit that to come our way. But if we will change, then that sentence of evil and the particulars that went with it will be removed and replaced by that which is good. Does God change? Well, in light of all those things, maybe there are several observations or lessons we might quickly observe and note that can solidify these points in our heart. Let's begin like this. You noticed in two of the verses that we have read, there was a nation... That was identified as evil, identified as ungodly, identified as inconsistent with His will. But you'll notice that immediately brings us to note this. Remember, at the outset tonight, we learned that God is a God of justice and perfection. Not all nations are pleasing in His sight, not all individuals are pleasing in His sight. Not all communities or ways of doing business and other things are pleasing in His sight. Our God has decreed in His Word what is right. And it doesn't matter the reason. If men err from it, that's not pleasing to God. Look at some of these explanations. In Ezekiel 18 verse 20, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now that's plain, isn't it? That soul that sins. But now you and I know well, there's the lovely attribute of repentance. What if someone who chooses to live in that way comes to his or her senses, obeys the gospel? Will they still die? Not spiritually. Because they have been united with the almighty, life-giving God. You and I know in that sense the verdict of God relative to them changed because that person changed in light of the course of their life. Isn't it interesting to think about God's reaction to what you and I do? I think that's remarkable. As mighty, as powerful, as almighty as He is, His verdict and reaction will vary depending on my reaction to Him. After all, on the day of judgment, I'll be in fact led wonderfully into heaven if I have been obedient to Him. But if I've chosen to be disobedient, then His reaction to me will not be heaven. I will be consigned forevermore to hell. So again, God's verdict, His declaration will be different depending on how I have reacted to Him. It's perhaps been said before that of course God wants all to be saved, but the devil doesn't want anybody to be saved, but of course some he can't get to anymore. But you and I have the opportunity to decide what should be the case for us. That opening lesson takes us to another verse. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18. This time it's the prophet Ezekiel, and as God speaks through him, he makes this very memorable statement. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, And thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his evil way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn from his wickedness... So here's someone who's been warned and turns from his wickedness, then what? Nor from his wicked way he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul... Finally, in verse number 20, the same, of course, works in the other direction. If someone who is righteous chooses to turn from righteousness, we notice that God's verdict, though once that person was saved, no longer is that true. No wonder at this point. Observation two is this. If those who practice evil will repent then it is the case God will change His verdict with respect to that person. Now, might we pause to notice it's not as if God ever changed His basic essence. God wanted the person to be saved from the very outset. That never changed. But when the person was living in sin, when the person was living in ungodliness, God wasn't in a position to save that person then. But when He repented... When that person came to the gospel and obeyed it, then God made decree that no longer is the person lost, he or she is now saved. God's verdict concerning the individual changed when the person's reaction to him changed. Some verses that highlight that would be these. We've already read Jonah 3 verse 10. We've already read Ezekiel 3 verse 18. Both of them teach that truth. Observation number three. To those, why don't we add this one? Suppose there's an individual who is convicted of God and who does what's noble and godly and right, but then turns from it. Isn't it true these same verses declare that God's verdict concerning that individual has now changed? That person once was saved, but no more. Some verses that highlight that, this verse number 18 of Jeremiah 18. Could I invite you to note that passage again? Then said they, "'Come and let us devise devices against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us smite him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words.'" Here were people who at one time had known the Word of God, but you'll notice now they wanted to, in fact, put to death Jeremiah because they didn't like what he preached. Their reaction to God had changed. Now God's sentence of destruction was upon them. It is for all those reasons we come to the fourth and final observation. There are some in our world today who continue to preach very strongly that once an individual has been saved, regardless what happens in the particulars of that person's life thereafter, that person remains saved. But obviously, that does not seemingly harmonize with what we have read so far tonight. Several times God has said, that individual that's godly, if that person turns from godliness and proceeds to do what is filled with iniquity, then I will turn my verdict from salvation to destruction. The Bible doesn't teach, once saved, always saved. In fact, perhaps 2 Peter 2 says it like this in the strongest language of the New Testament. 2 Peter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity... They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome The latter end with them is worse than the beginning. We'll finish in a moment, but already what have we noted? Peter, by inspiration, made this rather clear statement. Verse 18, he referred to some who had listened to great swelling words from somebody, some teacher, some influential individual. And you'll notice the closing part of the verse says, these were clean escaped from those that live in error. That is to say, they had already begun to live in a way that was no longer encumbered with evil or ungodliness. They had escaped from those things. Verse 20 said, "...for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world..." The individuals of whom Peter spoke had escaped the world's pollutions. They no longer were in the clutches of the devil... They no longer were living in a way following His dictates and His will and appreciation. They had escaped. But then it says this, They are again entangled and overcome. What they had come out of, they again are entangled in. They become enticed by it. They fall back into some sins of this world. And you'll notice verse 20 closes by saying, The latter end with them is worse than the beginning. These individuals were lost at first, but then they had obeyed the gospel. They come to know the truth and were saved, but now they have fallen back into this placement, this place of iniquity. And the inspired writer declared they are now in a worse condition than they had been before. Notice now the last two verses. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to its own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. It's an interesting thing to appreciate then that once saved, always saved is not taught in the Bible. But rather, what is taught is that the essence and the will of God remains unchanged. His nature is that exactly who He is. He, of course, does make decrees of punishment upon those that will not do His will. He makes verdicts of judgment upon them. But if those individuals will come to Him and obey Him and follow Him in love, then God will repent of that declaration of evil and bless that individual's life with salvation. On the other hand, if an individual who comes to the Lord, but then turns away from it, then that matter of salvation that was once decreed will become a matter of destruction. Because God's will is immutable. He will always do that which is consistent with His will. And it is His will, of course, that you and I would come to know what He has declared for us. Does God change? We've studied, of course, a number of features of that tonight. In His essence, the answer is no. But will He change His declaration concerning what is your life and mine, depending on how we react? Oh, yes. In fact, that's taught all throughout the Bible, isn't it? It's no wonder, then, that Jesus issued what we call that marvelous Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, why so? Because God wants to change from a verdict of destruction to a verdict of salvation. He wants men to come to know the truth and obey it. It might be tonight that there's someone in this audience who perhaps upon thought about this nature of God, you too have been led to appreciate that God does want you to be saved. But so far, you haven't lived in a way that pleases Him. You've lived in a way that, quite frankly, is inconsistent with the Word of God. Maybe as a Christian that you once were, you have lost that fervor, you've lost that zeal, and you've begun to live in a way that's brought reproach on Jesus. Tonight, we'd like to invite you to come. The Lord would like to invite you to come. He does that throughout the Word, and He calls us by the Gospel, Second 2 Thessalonians 2.14. Tonight, if there'd be anyone in the audience, perhaps as an erring child of God or as an alien sinner that would wish to become a member of that blessed body of Christ or to be renewed in your membership therein, we'd be happy to help you, to encourage you, to assist you. That plan of salvation demands as an alien sinner that you believe Jesus with all of your heart to be the Son of God, repent of the sins in your life, confess His great name, and of course to be baptized. If you need to take care of that tonight, what better night could there be than this? If you, though, need to be restored, we'd like to pray on your behalf. Just like we learned this morning, Job was told by God to pray on behalf of those three friends of his. Tonight, we'd pray to God on your behalf. And as long as you'll repent and confess those things, He'll forgive them, and you'll be replaced in that lovely place of faithfulness in the body of Christ tonight if we could be of help to you we want to do that and do it now while together we stand and while we sing